And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh. With me, as always, is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film past or present absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. Good morrow. I bid you good morrow. (laughs) (laughs) What is that? Is that today or tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) Tell her you like her whispering eye. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness. Oh, hey, man. How's it going? I'm good. Yeah, it's been a whole seven days since I spoke with you. The whole ring. (laughs) Too long. Yeah, too long. I mean, we send each other little meme pictures and stuff, but those are fun. But yeah, other than that, man, uh, good. It's good to hear your voice. Um, I hope everything's going well in California. Okay. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm good. No complaints. Just been hanging out, playing a lot of video games, watching the TV. What about you? I started Skyrim uh, and I only got, I added a whole bunch of mods. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I added a whole bunch of mods before. I didn't know what to put on, so I just did like a whole variety of ones. Didn't I text uh, and... you which ones to put on? Didn't I say um... do like the finishers and the blood and the lanterns, mm. didn't I not say that? Maybe. Oh, that you did. No, you did. I'll have to. Okay, I'll have to do that. I did like some skin mods. There's a lot of perverts who modded things on there, but I, <laughs> I just clicked on like the top ones and I downloaded those. Like, but I uh, want Doctor Manhattan size junk. Yeah, exactly. Hey, so started playing that. Uh, I've just been playing a lot of Call of Duty. Um, well, not a lot of it, but I've been playing that, and then, yeah, otherwise just work and working out and getting fit you know beach season's almost here you know where the gym is <laughs> yeah uh, you know where the weight room is i'll check i'll check it out <laughs> <laughs> i know right but yeah um let's switch this up what are you watching are you watching anything fun uh yeah i watched i've been watching south park a lot lately uh history of swear words i started that i got two episodes in was that Not okay too shabby. yeah it's fine it's okay. fun. A lot of comedians. Mm. I like a good comedian. Uh, lots and lots of Dark Souls. Been playing the shit out of Dark Souls. Love that franchise so very much. And I can't get anybody into it. Like all my circle of friends is just not interested. <laughs> uh, luckily, one of them's biting. Uh, Mr. Stephen Alvawood, who we had on the show during our, our spooktacular October or whatever it's called. Spooktober, maybe? I don't know. And... Um, yeah, so he is he's throwing me a bone <laughs> and making me feel good that he's finally going to get into it. My my excitement about the games has has steered him in the direction of a purchase. Cool, man. Yeah, yeah I've never I, I've never played Dark Souls. Uh are are there 3 of them? There's 3, yes. Well, first it was Demon Souls, then there was Dark Souls 1 and 2. And then Bloodborne, and then Dark Souls three, and then uh, Sekiro, uh, whatever. Like Shadows Die Twice. Shadows Die Twice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're all the Dark, Dark Souls, Souls games. First themselves. Blood and Dark yeah, Souls. Yeah, exactly. First Blood Part Three. They're all they're all from uh, from software, and oh, but okay. the Dark Souls games themselves are their own kind of separate thing. Eh, okay, cool. I did not know that. But they're uh, all in sweet. the same vein of being creepy and spooky and 
hard. Really, isn't that really kind hard. of isn't that kind of how Skyrim is part of like Morrowind and uh, whatever else? Don't yeah. So me. so Skyrim is is Elder Scrolls yeah. game. So yeah, they're all tied together. Okay. Skyrim is is one of the regions in like Tamriel or whatever the, the hell that continent's called. Mm. Okay. Sweet. Well, yeah. It's like you know, there's United States and Mexico and Canada and Alaska. <laughs> Skyrim <laughs> is like Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hunting, hunting wolverines with my uncle <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly so um yeah i've been watching uh or so i was watching cobra kai season three i stopped about episode three or four uh because there is a character that pops up that you're like oh damn and i forgot it. I, it had been a very long time since i'd seen the karate kids one through three and so i decided to watch those they are free on amazon prime with ads and I fucking hate ads. They're so loud. The, the movie's like really quiet and then the ads are just blaring. But whatever. Uh, so anyways, then I finished the entirety of Cobra Kai season three. It is phenomenal. I'm so excited for season four to come on. Uh, I watched two really awesome movies that I had from a lot of top 10 films of 2020 that maybe people didn't really watch because of, you know, COVID and whatnot. But these ones were uh, streaming, so they're they're worth it. But the first one is called The Vast of Night. It is a homage to Rod Serling's Twilight Zone. It, it, it's, it's a crisp 90-minute film, very, very low-budget indie. You wouldn't recognize a single actor in it, but it is phenomenal. I mean, it is an auditory adventure with all this suspense and you're just captivated the entire time. You have to pay attention to it because I could see how you might get bored watching uh, one of the main characters operate a switchboard for 10 minutes, but I promise it pays off at the end. And it's just, it's a really, really cool film. Then I watched Run and that was on Hulu. Excuse me. Run was, it seems like it was based on a true story, but it's not. It took place in Washington State. Uh, it's about this girl who is confined to a wheelchair, and her mom takes care of her and homeschools her. The girl quickly starts finding out that her mom is actually uh, drugging her and keeping her in the wheelchair, and then craziness ensues. It is, it's like a thriller horror film. Yeah, what's that called? Like Munchausen? Munchausen syndrome. Where yeah. You, yeah, yeah, where like you're... Uh, you're not sick, but they're making you sick or they think you're sick, all that kind of shit. It's, 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 that's kind of what it is. I don't want to say any more because I don't want to give it away. And the beauty of, of Run was it was only 90 minutes. So it was like perfect. Um, but that's on Hulu and it has uh, Sarah Paulson in it. And she's just really, really good in this performance. His name was Robert Paulson. I don't know what that's from. Fight Club. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, Bob with the bitch tits. There we go. Uh, <clears throat> and then I don't know if I said this last week, but I watched Detroit Rock City. Yeah, I love that movie. You and, did. Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Go shake your wee wee. And then. <laughs> At least we talked about it. I don't know if we did it on the oh, show, but. Yeah. Uh, and then I watched, uh, it's, uh, what's it called? 30 Minutes or Less with Jesse Eisenberg and Aziz Ansari. It was okay. It was just like kind of on the background. And then I watched SWAT. The movie with Colin Farrell <laughs> and Sam Jackson yeah. and LL and Cool J. clown dog shit's almost yeah. gone, man. Is the, <laughs> yeah. the fucking bad guy? Oh, yeah. my God. I couldn't believe it. I was like, are you fucking serious, this guy? Brian. Yeah. yeah. As soon as he popped on screen, I was like, swell, this clown dog shit's gone, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His name is Brian. I know. I fucking love him. I have some extra orders that if you want these to... <laughs> 
so good. <laughs> what an asshole that guy is. I mean, in the movie, not in real life. Yeah. I have no idea, but yeah, holy shit. That Park it so yourself, funny. Metallica breath. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always quote the brother who's not the same actor, but it's just that movie is so You're funny. You're going to choke. <laughs> You're going to drown. Whatever he says. He's so like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Dishes are done, man. <laughs> Dishes are done, man. It's Belgian Dude. waffles. <laughs> yeah. Kenny. The, Kenny. Yeah, it's he's Kenneth in, now. Uh, <laughs> he's in Toy Soldiers and he's mm-hmm. in um, Adventures in Babysitting. Mm-hmm. Love that, that is guy. true with Elizabeth Shue she is beautiful anyways <clears throat> so that is what I watch man it was an eventful week yeah sounds like it that's a lot of TV watching oh yeah my, my buddy Josh I don't know if I mentioned this a week or two ago but he was like how do you guys watch so much movies during the week and it's just, <laughs> I think working from home is just you can have something on in the background you know yeah I that's exactly that, what it is that's more of what I'm doing unless it's like a, just a lazy Saturday or something I've yeah. had those days where I'm just literally parked on the couch for like 12 goddamn hours. <laughs> so just, a, just endless movies playing. But for the most well, part, it's just background noise. Well, yeah. And, and we're in a pandemic right now. And so it's just like, what am I going to go do when it's pissing it down rain and it's a Sunday other than watch like sports? And then when that goes down, I'm like, fuck, what should I go do? I can't go to the, the local nightclub or something. But. Yeah, the discotheque. <laughs> the, the discotheque. <laughs> <laughs> you can watch movies. In fact, that's that's exactly why I watched Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, the movie that we were going to talk about today, which I'm very excited about. I saw it was uh, streaming, and I was like, well, hot damn, I'm going to watch this movie. I hadn't seen it in a, in a while. Uh, now, I have seen this movie a thousand times. I love it to death. And it just It's been a long time since I've seen it, though. And I was like, holy shit. So I watched it, and then I immediately texted you, and I was like, hey, let's do Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Directed by Guy Ritchie, who you might know from Snatch, which was the follow-up to uh, Lockstock. Uh, Sherlock Holmes, The Man from Uncle, and Rock and Rolla. Not necessarily in that order. Rock the Elmadeus. <laughs> yeah, Rock and Rolla <laughs> was before Sherlock Holmes. FYI, for those of you keeping score. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, this movie is also written by Guy Ritchie, who also directed, so that's fantastic. This was his motion picture show. The cast includes Jason Fleming, Dexter Fletcher, Jason Statham, Nick Moran, or Nick Moran, rather, uh, Vinnie Jones, Lenny McLean, P.H. Moriarty, speaking of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have a last name like Moriarty. <laughs> Always crazy. a bad guy. Yeah, I know, right? Um, Frank Harper and, of course, Sting, which is exciting. And P.H. Moriarty is Sting's buddy in the movie he's also the narrator in um whatchamacallit not the narrator he's the he plays the narrator and his buddy but uh in snatch he's actually the bad guy he's uh bricktop if you've seen snatch which is also amazing um anyway uh critical reception it did uh did pretty good critics love this it's at a uh Whopping 75% from the critics, 93% from the audience. The audience just eating this up like they's popcorn. And let's see here. We have Rex Reed from The Observer. He says, it roars and ignites and hits the ground running. Let's say that that's about right. Especially since in the opening scene, they are running from the police, <laughs> as it were. Um, let's see here. You have CSM staff. From 
course, the Christian Science Monitor. <laughs> Our buddies over there, right? <laughs> Man. Um, the humor is as rude and crude as the characters, but the picture certainly isn't lacking in energy. Well, there you go. So they just didn't like the characters. I mean, there's a lot of uh, morally flexible human beings in this movie, and maybe that is part of the problem for the staff. They didn't like the, the characters? I mean, they're saying the humor is rude and crude as the characters. Yeah. Interesting. Because I think the characters were the best part of this film. They were also unique and just ridiculous and over the top. It was great. There you go. So, yeah. There you go. We'll mix it up a little bit. And let's see here. Opening weekend in the United States, it did $143,000. That was on March 7th, 1999. Grossed it in the U.S. at $3.7 million. And worldwide, the numbers also say 3.7. So I don't really necessarily know if that is accurate. But we'll go from there. Give me some trivia. Uh, so trivia, Jason Statham has Jason Statham has in real life worked as a street vendor, similar to the character he plays in the opening of the movie. That's cool. On Vinnie on Vinnie Jones's first day of filming, he had just been released from police custody. He had been arrested for beating up his neighbor. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Vinnie Jones is a scary guy. He's uh, he just looks like he'd hit you with his head and he'd be done. So yeah, but he's like he's like <clears throat> tough guy, handsome though. Like I was talking to Alex about him last night because we watched Snatch last night, mm-hmm. and I absolutely love that movie too. That was the movie that I spilled. I tried to be cute and I snuck Starbucks in and I fucking forgot. I hit it so well in my coat that I forgot that I had it. And I sat down and just fucking scorched the whole side of my body with coffee. What an asshole. I couldn't believe I did that. Oh, Jesus, man. And I didn't even pay for the goddamn thing. The whole thing was I didn't even want to go to Starbucks, but the four people that I went to the motion picture show with to go see the movie are like, oh, we got to get Starbucks first. I'm like, God damn it. So then I go and I wait and then this guy had ordered something, but he left. And then the guy's like, I don't know, man, if you want it, you can take it. I'm like, sure, why not? So I took the coffee that didn't belong to me and I <laughs> spilt it all over the side of my body. What an oh. asshole. I can't believe I did that. That's like a monkey paw situation where yeah. you get this free thing, but it's going to scold you or scald you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was a definite trade off. I didn't even get to drink it because it was too hot. So I didn't even drink it. It was a complete wasted cup. I'm sorry. That sucks. That's fine. It's my fault. I tried to be cute and sneak it. Oh uh, well, I, sneak plus ten. So, um, so the film was having trouble finding an American distributor when Trudy Styler called an acquaintance of hers, Tom Cruise. Have you heard him? Have you seen? Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? <laughs> he attended a audience. <laughs> what a creepy audience. He attended a screening and loved the film. Matthew Vaughn later recalled, uh, "It was hysterical. You had all these mid-level executives sitting there, and Cruise walked in. He saw them all sit up and pay attention, all getting on their phones, and suddenly all the senior executives joined the screening." At the end, Tom got up in front of everyone and said, this is the best movie I've seen in years. You guys would be fools not to buy it. Good on him. I do like Tom Cruise. He knows how to make a a fun movie, a romp. Uh, Lenny McLean was a famous bare-knuckle boxer before he became an actor. His nickname was The Governor. Pretty awesome. He's a big fucking dude, too. So it was. R.I.P. According to editor Knight... Niven Howie, the scene with the lads drunkenly celebrating the robbery was originally shorter. When test audiences named it as their favorite scene, he went back and made it longer. That was a cool scene. I liked it. And then finally, the word fuck is used 125 times. Oof. That's a crap load. So, all right. Wait, <clears throat> the robbery, like when they're still in the weed and stuff? So, no. Uh, after they get the, the money from Dog's gang, 
when Dog's gang goes and they rob it, and then the the four lads go to Dog's house and rob them, and then they come back because they're like, sweet, we got all the money, we're set. There's that whole kind of partly slow mo, and then them just being rambunctious at their at um uh what's his name Ed's dad's bar as they oh, are just yeah, drinking, yeah. you know. And uh, it's a pretty fun. Longer. Yeah, it, it was it was shorter, but audience liked it a lot because it was just ridiculous. It's over the top with what's happening, but it was it was a fun scene. They're celebratory. So. All right. So here's a synopsis for anyone who has not seen Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Longtime friends and small time criminals, Eddie, Tom, Soap and Bacon put together a hundred pounds, a hundred thousand pounds so that Eddie, a genius card shark, can buy into one of Hatchet Harry Lonsdale's high stakes three card brag games. The game is rigged, however, and the friends end up massively indebted to Harry for 500,000 pounds. Harry then sends his debt collector, Big Chris, who is often accompanied by his son, Little Chris, to ensure that the debt is paid within a week. Harry is also interested in a pair of expensive antique shotguns that are up for auction and gets his enforcer, Barry the Baptist, to hire a pair of thieves, Gary and Dean, to steal them from a bankrupt lord. The two turn out to be highly incompetent and unwittingly sell the shotguns to Nick the Greek, a local fence. After learning this, in a rage, Barry threatens the two into getting the guns back. Eddie returns home one day and overhears his neighbors, a gang of robbers led by a brutal man called Dog, planning a heist on some cannabis growers loaded with cash and drugs. Eddie relays the information to the group, intending for them to rob the neighbors as they come back from the heist. In preparation for the robbery, Tom visits Nick the Greek to buy weapons and ends up buying the two antique shotguns. What's so funny? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, I like it when when the guy's like, Nicholas? Yeah. <laughs> <to Nick. laughs> yeah. I like when he puts the glass on the table and it just shatters and he looks at him and he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> It's oh, ridiculous. God. And then he then the glass is gone when he puts the glass on a second time. Yep. Oh, yeah. So yeah. The uh the neighbor's heist gets underway, and despite a gang member being killed by his own Bren gun, an incriminating encounter with a traffic warden, the job is oh, and an incriminating encounter with the traffic warden, the job is a success. They return home with a duffel bag filled with money and a van loaded with bags of marijuana. Eddie and his friends ambush them as planned and drive away in the neighbor's van containing the marijuana and the traffic warden. They transfer the loot to their own van and return home. They then have Nick the they then have Nick fence the drugs to Rory Break, Breaker, Breaker, a gangster with a reputation for violence. Rory agrees to buy marijuana at half price. However, two of Rory's men visit the house of the cannabis growers and discover they've been robbed and the marijuana he just bought had been stolen from his own growers. Rory threatens Nick into giving him Eddie's address and brings along one of the growers, Winston, to identify the robbers. Eddie and his friends spend the night at Eddie's father's bar to celebrate. Meanwhile, Dog's crew accidentally uh, learns that their neighbors are the ones who robbed them and set up an ambush in Eddie's flat. Rory and his gang arrive instead, and a shootout ensues, resulting in the death of all except Dog and Winston. Winston leaves with the drugs. Dog leaves with the two shotguns and the money, but is waylaid by Big Chris, who knocks him out and takes everything. Gary and Dean, having learned who who bought the shotguns and not knowing that Chris works for Harry, follows Chris to Harry's place. Chris delivers the money and guns to Harry, but when he returns to his car, he finds Dog holding little Chris at knife point, demanding the money be returned to him. Chris complies and starts the car. Meanwhile, Gary and Dean burst into Harry's office, starting a confrontation that ends up killing them both, and Harry and Barry as well. 
Returning to see the carnage at their flat and their loot missing, Eddie and his friends head to Harry's. But when they discover Harry's corpse, they decide to take the money for themselves. Before they are able to leave, Chris, Chris crashes his car into their car to disable Dog and then brutally bludgeons him to death with his car door. He then takes the debt money back from the unconscious friends, but allows Tom to leave with the antique shotguns after a brief standoff in Harry's office. The friends are arrested but declared innocent of recent events after the traffic warden identifies Dog and his crew as the culprits. Back at the bar, they send Tom out to dispose of the antique shotguns, the only remaining evidence linking them to the case. Chris then arrives to give back the duffel bag, from which he has taken all of the money for himself and his son, and which is empty except for a catalog of antique weapons. Leafing through the catalog, the friends learn that the shotguns are actually quite valuable, worth about 250,000 to 300,000 pounds and quickly call Tom to stop him from disposing of the guns. The film ends with Tom leaning over the side of, of the bridge with his mobile phone stuffed in his mouth and ringing as he prepares to drop the shotguns into the river Tims. All right. That was, uh, it's, it's, I say Tims. That's what they said when I was in London, but I don't know. <laughs> you sound like you're from London. As I like I'm um, from London. Yeah. Uh, real quick, I had I had misspoke earlier. Alan Ford is the narrator, and he is the, the bad guy in um, Snatch. He plays Bricktop. I might have said that he was P.H. Uh, Moriarty. Yeah, Moriarty was Hatchet Harry. Hatchet in, Harry, yeah. In this. So yeah, he, he if, if that is what too. I said, I apologize. Alan Ford is who I was thinking of, but I might have called him Moriarty. I misspeak all the time. It's fine. So um cool well yeah so we heard about your starbucks story with snatch but justin when did you first see uh lock stock and two smoking barrels um sometime in 1990 something uh when did it come out 98 or 99 98 is what imdb said but that okay, might have yeah, in been march in right England. yeah so I, I saw it in like the summer or fall of 98 okay okay yeah. that's a good year I saw it on video home video from the video what you, store what did you think of it I loved it. I, in fact, it was it's one of the few movies that after it was over, I immediately watched it again. There's only been like three movies that I've done that with, and that's from Dust Till Dawn, Lockstock, and fucking uh, Sicario. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Wow, you had to rewind it and everything. Did you have a, a VHS rewinder, or did you just leave it in the VCR and round it? The, yeah, the VCR did it. Oh. <laughs> Actually, um, you know, I don't remember... It had to have been a tape, yeah, because I saw it at my buddy's house. I saw it at my buddy Doug's house, and it wasn't mine, because I already had a DVD player in 98. Um, it was like 500 bucks. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Shit, it was so much money. And like it was, $10. <laughs> I know, you get them for free when you buy like a case of gum or something. It's so stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty insane to think that that's how expensive they were. But Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, I so this was actually my first viewing. I had never seen it before. I've seen Snatch and I've seen Rock and Rolla, but it had been a very long time since I'd seen both. So I don't remember much of any of them and I've only seen them once. Uh, I do. I was aware of it and I knew that it was Guy Ritchie's like first big film, but I wouldn't even call it big per se. But uh, yeah, I um, I watched it on what was it? Prime? I think it was yeah. on Prime. Yeah. And um, I liked it. I wasn't blown away, but I, I did like it. It had that heist feel, you know, it was that kind of, I, I think the coolest thing for me were, were how many different characters there were and how they all had their own distinct nature. It was, right. I thought that was really neat, but there's a lot going on. There's, there's multiple stories happening. You know, there's Harry's 
Harry and his thugs, and then like you know the odd jobs that they got to make. <laughs> the two guys steal the shotguns. Yeah, um, and then there's the main crew, and then of course there's um, the drug dealers, and uh, it's just it's a lot to handle. And then the thieves next door, and then just all kind of coming together. Snatches like that too. You know, multiple mm-hmm. characters, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have you. <laughs> to quote uh, the dude, as it were. So it's it's a lot of fun and. I know that some folks aren't necessarily keen on British films just because it's uh, hard to understand what they're saying a lot of the times. And I think once there's a switch that just kind of happens in your brain and eventually you're at some point in the film, if you're lucky, hopefully it's early. It just kind of clicks and you pretty much pick up on everything that they're saying. Right. Um, but I remember when I was like uh, 18 watching this, I was like, what the fuck are they saying? But then like, you know, I just kind of turned it up and just sat close to the TV yeah. and I'm, I'm like staring at my TV with my mouth open and I, and it worked out. And, I, and then I, I, all of a sudden I understood everything that they were saying. Yeah. Well, that's, so that's great. Um, so that's what I wanted to ask, you know, many people I know that like me personally, I know they, um, they don't like to watch movies with subtitles, but me personally, I always watch movies with subtitles. And it honestly started from Lord of the Rings. When I was watching Lord of the Rings, I just decided to start putting subtitles on so I could learn the different names. And then um, it just kind of stuck. So every movie I watch now or TV show has subtitles on it. So unfortunately, I think uh, a big reason foreign films aren't immensely popular in the United States, uh, movies like Parasite, Roma, Pan's Labyrinth, and Burning, um, they're, they're not immediately popular, but those ones got popular after uh, Oscar nods and everything. And all those are just wonderful international films that everyone sh- uh, that should be on everyone's radar list. The only reason they are not as mainstream uh, is most likely due to the fact that they are subtitled. Why don't people like subtitles, Justin? Did you did you watch this movie at any point with subtitles? And no. then, you know, this like this movie can be heard in a very. I'll put Queen speak English like Cockney and very yeah. like you're saying those words it's you don't dirty, really understand. It's a dirty English, yeah. Exactly. But but you know, I and like I said, I personally put on the subtitles and like do you think that that makes this movie because it's a dirty cockney kind of weird uh language? Do you think this is <laughs> English, a English? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you think this is an international film? So I I think for us in the American in the US market it's definitely an international film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it was made uh, you know, specifically across the pond and, you know, to, to be distributed here in the United States, I would definitely classify it as an international film. Uh, sure, they do speak English, but it's a different kind of English. And so I, I don't necessarily think that the language has anything to do with it. I just think it's the market that it came from. Um, but uh, but no, I'd never watched it with subtitles. And I don't know why subtitles bother people. I think they're just... it. For for some folks, it just takes them out of the immersion. Like I think they just want to sit there and watch and not necessarily read. And uh, you know, I, I saw we were talking about Golden Compass a couple months ago, and I, I saw that in Paris, and I was prepared to listen to it in French and read it in English, but it was actually in English, and I saw French subtitles. And I the thing with subtitles, I was like, I, after like five seconds, I don't even see them anymore. Exactly, it's so weird. I don't. And I think maybe just because maybe we just grew up in a time where we were already kind of used to it in a lot of ways, especially since we both enjoy movies. So maybe we watch more foreign films than, than more, more people do. But even video games have subtitles. And I think even like 
watching the news a lot of times i like to have subtitles on because i just might miss something or i turn my head or whatever the case may be uh, i kind of zone out when i'm watching the news a lot of times it's fun <laughs> just to kind of have it on just a recap on what had happened yeah and so and i think i got that from the gym you know the gym always has the t- subtitles on yeah on the tvs yeah. but um i think my first theatrical experience with subtitles though was crouching tiger hidden dragon Mm, which was already like in 2000 2001 or whatever Mm. but that was the first motion picture show feature film that i saw in theater with subtitles yeah okay how do you i mean obviously you like that movie yeah i did when it came out i rewatched it uh prior to that sequel that came out on netflix Mm -hmm. and i couldn't even get past like the first 20 minutes i was like (laughs) god damn it i hate this movie (laughs) yeah i i think it's fascinating and i think you said it um when I watch a movie with somebody and it's, you know, my, my TV defaults to subtitles on all my streaming platforms, it just knows that I, I put subtitles on the first thing I do in video games when I play it, if it's like an FPS or something or whatever it is, like, you know, an RPG or something, I switch the Y axis to inverted because I play like that. And then I also put subtitles on because I like to hear every little piece of dialogue. And in certain films, someone might say something, and you're like, wait, what did they say? I don't want to have to rewind to, to pick up on little stuff. Um, I also think it's interesting, too, when you find a, a film. And this could this could partly be distracting. If you have a movie on Netflix or a show on Netflix that clearly whoever was writing the subtitles wasn't working with the producers of the film because it will say something completely different than what is actually being said on screen, uh, that that can be an issue. But um, but otherwise, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's something that I I got beyond at an early age, and I was glad I did. Uh, there are so many fantastic international films out there that I think a lot of people need to need to check out. South Korea has a ton of awesome horror films, and you know our buddy Stephen was telling us about Hashtag Alive. Um, that and you watched that too, right? No, I didn't. Okay, so it's um, South Korean zombie film, but it is. You can either watch it dubbed in English or you can watch it in uh, Korean it defaults, with subtitles. It defaults to English here yes. on our Netflix. So you'd have yes. to turn it on. Which is why I didn't watch it because uh, Bobby, she told me she tried to watch it, but it was in English. It was dubbed. And yeah. both neither her nor I knew that you could change that. And so I was like, <laughs> well, fuck, I don't want to watch that. I, I hate that. Especially oh, when it's like a yeah. British voice doing like uh, an asian person you're like what bollocks yeah that that was a thing because you know i was really into like chowing fat films when i was a teenager oh dude yeah and they were all had these these fucking british voices these proper gentlemen speaking and i'm like it was it was taking me out of it i'm just like this isn't this isn't working for me man so i was better off just you know muting it and just watching the violence Fucking hard boiled. I think yeah, hard boiled's great. The killer, better tomorrow. Oh my god, dude. yeah. Hard boiled has that crazy hospital fight scene when it's just like yeah. they, they unleash an arsenal against and each he other. He did like the unlimited ammo code in his little <laughs> pistolas. Up, down, A, B, left, right, select, start, back. A, D, K, F, A. Holy shit. Go. Yeah, uh, but it, it, it is fascinating that um, people just don't. I mean, I think. And I wish I had the quote. I should just look it up really quick. But when Parasite won the Oscar for 2020 for for best film, that blew people away because not only is it a fantastic movie, it's the first international film to win for best picture, I believe. So Bong Joon-ho said, 
Once you overcome the one inch tall barrier of subtitles, you'll be introduced to so many more amazing films. And he is just spot on, man. I mean, it's it's really great. And, and Netflix is good for this, too, of, of showing us international films like, you know, we all we don't need to see cowboy movies all over our screen. We can we can see movies from from the Philippines and we can see movies from, you know, South Africa. And I think that's so neat. But yeah, yeah man. So there, there was a um, it's funny you mentioned cowboy um, because there was this one cowboy movie called Tears of the Black Tiger. Mm-hmm. And it's so fucking awesome, dude. And um, gosh, I just don't remember. I don't remember where it Oh, it was a Thai film. So it's a Thai Western and it looks like they filmed it on like a, like a play, like a like a stage. And they have like this weird grass and these painted sets but it's so fucking cool, man. It is so really? badass. I have it. I own it on VCD, if you know what that shit is. <laughs> I, I got it on like a CD and I bought it on eBay. And I this is, I saw it in my um, New Asian cinema class. And uh, one of the perks of being a film student is you get to watch a lot of these cool movies. And in New Asian cinema, it was the first year that this class was ever offered. And our textbook was to pay $10 to the teacher who bought 500 DVDs in China. Oh, and and we had to watch like seven movies a week, sometimes nine or 10. Jesus. And what I did was I, they were all available in the library that you would just go at the school library and you would just go and check out the movie and then watch it. And then I just put it on double speed because it was subtitled anyway. And I would just plow through all these movies in like a day. Cause if it's 90 minute movie, bam, you're done in 45 minutes. And, mm-hmm. um, like eventually it caught on and everyone started doing that. And uh, so if someone arrived like 10 minutes late, it's like, sorry, we're already, you know, 20 minutes into this movie. <laughs> you can't restart it or whatever. <laughs> and so uh, it was pretty rad. But I mean, I saw so many incredible films and I liked them all so much that I just started buying them and buying them and buying them. There's this cool place in here in Southern California, excuse me, Southern California called Frankenstein's and they have a lot of these bootleg movies and stuff and started picking them up there, started buying them on eBay and and Tears of the Black Tiger is this Thai Western that's so fucking badass. You gotta check it out one day. I don't know how you could how you'll watch it, but it's gotta be streaming somewhere. Uh and it's freaking awesome. Checking it out right now. Two thousand came out in the year two thousand. It is on Sling. You can watch it on Sling, but I don't have a subscription to that. I don't either. Seventy five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, and they're never awesome. they're never wrong. So I know. <laughs> the uh i do like a western i do like a good western um so that would be interesting cool so you you do love snatch and i don't know what your thoughts are on rock and rolla or aladdin because i forgot he did aladdin uh or sherlock holmes but guy Ritchie, he's a uh, pretty popular director i guess you could say um although i would wager justin um if i were to go ask 10 of my friends because i only have 10 friends five of them they would not know who he is. Now, what is your experience with Guy Ritchie films, and why why don't people universally love him? Why is why? I mean, he got Aladdin. That's a Disney movie. Why don't people just know him on a first name basis? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, a lot of his movies aren't tremendous successes. I don't think you know, like Lockstock was pretty low key. A lot of people never even heard of it. Uh, Snatch people might have heard of it, but that was because Brad Pitt was in it for crying out loud. Right. And, um, you know, it was, uh, Jason Statham was still in the very early stages of his acting career. Uh, Sherlock Holmes definitely 
uh, you know, because Robert Downey Jr. and everything, and it got a sequel, mm-hmm. which he directed. And then the A Man from Uncle was awesome. I absolutely love that movie. Mm-hmm. And um, and even King Arthur. I I went into King Arthur with very low expectations because the trailer made like zero sense to me. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> Sons of Anarchy. They got motorcycles <laughs> and swords. I don't know what's happening right now. And so, because he never looked like he was in, Arthur never looked like he was in clothes that were of the time. Like, yeah. <laughs> I thought he just took off his, his little vest, his little cut and hopped off his motorcycle and got on a horse. <laughs> I'm just like, what's <laughs> happening right now? And so, you know, the jeans and the white sneakers and he's ready to kick some ass. You want to see me kick some ass? And so <laughs> I had very low expectations, but I actually really enjoyed it. It actually reminds me a lot of Dark Souls now that I think about it. Um, mm. Definitely cool. But Rock and Rolla is one of the one of the few movies that just didn't click with me. As someone that drank the Guy Ritchie Kool-Aid pretty early in my uh, adult life, you know, I was 18 and I love the cinematography in Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. It wasn't anything like I'd really seen before. You know, I growing up in a Spielberg era of, of filmmaking, it, it was definitely a treat to see this new way of making movies. You know, it wasn't it was sort of turning the film school model on its head a little bit and showing these fun new tricks. And so I was really eating it up and snatches like that as well. And so it was kind of inspiring for me, you know, in a lot of ways, just like with Tarantino's writing and his uh, narrative, the way the nonlinear approach, you know, just shaking things up a bit. We've seen a billion movies, but every once in a while, one comes around, it just changes things a little bit. And I think Lockstock in, in sort of the same vein of Spaghetti Westerns, where it's just kind of a dirty, gritty vibe. I was I was on board with it. You know, everything about the setting in Lockstock just looks like a really grim and gross place and they're in a dire situation but they're funny fucking guys and this wacky (laughs) shit's happening and they're terrible criminals they're like the worst ever because they're not really criminal they're a couple of con men and everything but they're just bad at everything that they do and so it's it's just really fun and every criminal is terrible at what they do in the in Guy Ritchie films. (laughs) When the weed dealers he's like get the rifle and it's a fucking pellet gun. shot yeah no it's, it's oh. so great i love that and it reminds, it reminds me of office space when he's like i can't believe we're looking at money laundering in the dictionary <laughs> <laughs> like what kind of loser criminals are they you know so it's it's i think it adds a fun little element to it and so as far as heist movies go they you know you mentioned oceans 11 and you know that that's like a perfectly flawless uh, movie you know they they're they're all a-listers they're all these beautiful people stealing beautiful things and looking good while they're doing it whereas with lockstock it is the complete opposite mm-hmm. which i really dig you yeah. know they're not relying on computers to uh or 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 a crazy hacking skills computer hacking skills to get the job done they're just a smash and grab and hope that it works out kind of thing and i love that Bow staff skills. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and then to expand on that too, like, so I think like you said it, Guy Ritchie's style, it's very unique yet. It's also very familiar. It's, it's something that we've seen done in other movies that followed. Uh, I'm not saying he invented it, but I think that it, it's very apparent. The, the gritty, like you were saying, and sometimes comical heist film 
is set within this kind of mobster narrative in a big city. So that could be like New York or London or Boston, whatever. And it's been done countless times before. Um, aside from Ocean's Eleven, like you just mentioned, can you think of any other films kind of like this? I mean, I wrote down Lucky Number Slevin uh, and Casino as good examples. Even though Casino is not a heist film, you still have a bunch of different types of characters with it shows like the inner workings and, and, and the breakdowns of it. And plus that whole mob vibe from Casino. Yeah, I, I would I say felt. like Fast and Furious probably mm-hmm. could qualify as one of those, especially five. I think Fast Five really shook things up a bit. Like that's probably one of my favorite like action-y kind of movies, mm-hmm. uh, heist movies. I think Fast Five is just a whole other level of crazy when it comes to Fast and Furious. And then like even that was sort of the building blocks for upping the ante for crazy. Yeah, uh, you know, each each film got escalated further and further on how absurd it was going to be. <laughs> um, but I think that Fast Five really set the bar high for what an action movie can be. And um, and, you know, there's a lot. There's a whole crew and they all have their own way and their own little cool cars. And, you know, it's everyone's kind of quirky in the, in a in a odd couple sort of way to where it works. We're all family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, um, I think we talked about this on the Ocean's Eleven podcast. We're, we're drawn to those heist type of movies and uh, because we like to see how it unfolds. And it's like throwing a puzzle out on the floor and then all of a sudden they, they, the pieces come together. And I, I think that Lockstock is, it's no exception. That's that's what we get. We we have this issue where you could argue that Ed, he got cheated out of his money. He he probably could have won that poker game, but you know they had a cheat to win, and he that that really cool scene with with him just like almost shaky cam POV where he loses to to Hatchet Harry, and now he's in the hole for like I don't know one hundred and fifty thousand pounds, half a million, half a million. Oh, was, okay, that's what it was. So he's just kind of like, holy shit, you know, and then he just immediately vomits afterwards. Um, I think that's so fun to watch. And, and this one had a lot of twists and turns. And if you're not paying attention, you're like, oh, wait, what's going to happen? So it all kind of worked out really well for them. The fact that, you know, that their plan for these these bumbling idiots, their plan actually worked out pretty well. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's 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 interesting. But there's there are a lot of different heist films like that. I think Fast Five is a good example. I think Solo. Solo is probably a good one, too. Solo? Uh, oh, oh, the yeah, Han, Solo. Han Solo movie. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were thinking of Mario Van Peebles movie, Solo. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that in the theater. Of no course shit. you did. Yeah, I saw that. Dude, it's so funny. It, it was a midnight show. It's so dumb. Me and my buddy Luciano, the same guy that I saw Anastasia with and fucking the the Hellraiser in Space movie. Uh, uh, Hellraiser in Space? Oh, yeah, fucking, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Event Horizon. Event Horizon, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Solo was another movie that we saw at midnight. Solo. <laughs> so ridiculous i like That's mario awesome. van peebles he directs he's in joss four for crying out loud. <laughs> of course he was he had dreadlocks <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have no catamaran but he had dreadlocks so <laughs> um yeah so so now jay mani um i know you are a fan of the poker there have you ever been in a situation like ed got into biting off way more than you can chew only to have a really hard collapse back to reality and then, uh, you know, what about a scenario invo- not involving cards necessarily, but a situation in which you messed up pretty bad and had to redeem yourself in a quick amount of time? Um, well, not necessarily. Well, sort of. <laughs> uh, not the <laughs> redeeming part, but I did lose a, a lot of money once, uh, and it made me a little sick to my stomach. 
I, I got I got hustled on the street in downtown San Diego once. And, true story. I was Pick a card, just, any card. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. And like I was winning and beating the shit out of this guy at his own card game, and it was just like one of those you know follow follow the ace kind of thing, you know, with the three cards and you just watching and watching sleight of hand. And I and I totally knew what was happening. I was like, I've seen this in movies. This, there's no fucking way. But I just kept winning, and all of a sudden I just had all this money. And and then so I was like, oh man, I could I could tell this guy's terrible at his job. And so, you know, I was I was like 19, 20 years old. And then so then I at first I was just playing with his money. And then it became my money. And then all of a sudden, in in 20 seconds, I lost like 300 bucks. Jesus. And the guy was gone. And I was like, fuck. And I had no (laughs) money. And this was like day one of like a four-day vacation. And I was just like, shit. And so, um, you know, I, I was a broke ass college student, so I didn't have any money. And um, I, I made like $60 last four days in San Diego. Oof. Yeah, it was hard. I mean, this was, you know, 21 years ago or whatever. So a dollar went a little bit further than it does now. But um, I remember being so just irritated with myself. That was like the only time that I ever really fucked up so bad. I mean, it's only money, but I mean, it just sucked that yeah, I still had to save money to get home because I needed gas money to get home, obviously. So I was, uh, I went to the grocery, there was this Ralph's that was like on like, I don't know if it was Front Street or First Street, Fifth Street, doesn't matter. Where, where their old mall was, uh, Horton Plaza, there was this Ralph's uh, supermarket there. And I just went in and I bought like a like a loaf of like potato bread and some peanut butter. And I was like, I'm just eating fucking peanut butter sandwiches for the next four goddamn days. Oh, it was terrible. I felt like such an idiot. I mean, it's completely my fault. You know, the guy, the guy totally hustled me. I was like, son of a bitch. But whatever. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. But um, yeah, so so back to Guy Ritchie. One one thing I really enjoy about his films uh, is is how he plays with the camera in in just really uh, unique ways. When Ed loses to Hatchet Harry at the poker game, there's this cool rock music playing in the background. I I don't know who it is. It might be the Stones or something. And then uh, we see Ed struggle to process what had just happened. Uh, the camera appears almost GoPro like from this kind of POV uh stance where it conveys ed's sense of confusion anger fear all mixed in together we as a viewer get a real treat by watching that i think it was the stooges the stooges okay i that want makes to be more your sense. dog is the song okay yeah that makes more sense so you know this movie has a ton of awesome moments like that like a really cool camera work do you have any or do you have a favorite scene or favorite scenes in the film uh so i like the beginning a lot when it's showing the uh when Jason Statham's trying to peddle his wares, you know, he's selling all the stolen stuff. It's not stolen, just haven't been paid for yet, as he says. And then yeah. when, the, <laughs> when the cops show up and then they run and they're sliding and they lose the briefcase and it goes uh, tumbling down and it's like in slow motion. I thought that was a part of, it feels like parts of it's in slow motion and other parts aren't. Like I really dug that. And then um, the, the drinking scene that you were talking about where the weird stuff is happening at the bar, um, I really like it when just weird stuff, like when Tom's blowing his smoke through the barrels of the the shotgun. Yeah, I thought it was just kind of a, a cool shot. Um, everything like that were weird stuff, kind of in like an Edgar Wright sort of vibe, where I just exactly. really like the way it was edited and put together. I, I think it just helps me piece together what's happening on the scene. I get bored. I don't know if bored's the right word, but 
anybody can just set up a camera and then everyone act on frame. You know what I mean? Anybody can do that. It's all the post-production work that's put in that turns it into this beautiful masterpiece. And I think that's what happens with Lockstock is, is some people can't get past the talking, the, the dialogue, because it's English, English. Other people can't stand the grittiness. Some people don't think it's funny because they don't even know what the people are saying. And, and there's just, <laughs> if you take, if you take all that away, then you got a really good movie. <laughs> as absurd as that sounds. But uh-huh. I just think you have to dig through the weeds a little bit to see. Yeah how special this movie really is. And, you know, you mentioned the poker scene, which is really cool. Um, I think the beginning when, when, when they first get to the Samoan pub and the guy runs out on fire <laughs> yeah, and they're just like, they're like, whatever. And then they go <laughs> and he's like, can you tell that man, you tell your man to turn that down. You can try it yourself. And then later on in the movie, we get the story of how crazy he is and how he lit that man on fire. Breaker. You no, know, that's yeah. fucking it. That's fucking what? <laughs> <laughs> I asked for a cocktail. Is this a Simone cocktail? Is this a pub? It's a Simone pub. <laughs> yeah, you want to fight? Go to the pub. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know. It's great. And so even, I just like that. Go ahead. And even that poker scene, like, so I talked about just, uh, you know, the, the POV shot of Ed. Even before that, when it's showing them all, like, the time lapse of how long, because poker can take a long time, but when they're all throwing in their chips and throwing in their cards and it's real slow motion, but it's going right at the camera, I thought that was awesome. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was such a cool scene to watch. And uh, that, and then the scene where Chris, you first meet uh, Big Chris and he, uh, meets that guy in the tanning bed to collect money. I thought that that scene was awesome. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> yeah. He's like, can you li- can you lift it up, please? <laughs> but yeah. um, I thought that was really good, too. So those are my two favorite scenes. But I agree with you, man. I think you it's it's interesting. And back to the subtitles or back to the language barrier thing. Just put on subtitles. I mean, it's it's not it's not very hard to understand what's going on after a little bit. Like you were saying, it takes like five minutes and you're like, OK, cool. I, I get this now. Right. But, it's just a different cadence of speech. And, you know, I think another thing that's cool, too, is uh, we get a lot of times we get to see the background before we get to see the characters mm-hmm. and uh, like the setting. You know, we get to see a dirty office or we get to see a, a kitchen or we get to see, um, you know, like the boxing arena or the the pub. Uh, it's just really cool to see the layout of the area before we get to the characters, even at the strip club, you know, showing this lady that's dancing. And we're like, all right, whatever the music's playing. And then it cuts to the, the two guys, Gary and... Um, Dante? Not Dante. Yeah, I forget his name. I think it's Dante. And and like they're just like uh, in their own little world while the uh, Barry the Baptist is trying. Yeah, Dean, right? (laughs) Yeah. And and they're just trying to have that conversation. (laughs) And one of them is not even paying attention. The guy with uh, (laughs) Gary with the hair, he's just not even listening to a word that they're saying. Yeah. (laughs) The shotguns, or rather, guns that fire shot. He's like, we don't know anything about antiques. He's like, it's old, it's worth money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, I mean, when he's like, um, I'm trying to find out where they keep their money. He's like, look around. They got all furniture. <laughs> they don't have any money or whatever. <laughs> it's so great. Oh, man. So, I mean, I think I think that's a part of it is, is just seeing, like, absorbing this world. That, and And for people that don't know any better, like us, this is what London is. You know what I mean? And so I think it, it was a really unique opportunity to show us that this is this, this seedy underbelly that exists in their little world. It was just really <laughs> gross and dirty, and I loved being a part of it. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Yeah. No, I got you. Well, you know, a lot of British media, um, movies, films, whatever we've seen, it's 
they it's come out over in uh in in england and it's been recycled and remade for american audiences when it comes over here so uh you have the office i think that's a pretty obvious example where it was a british tv show and then it came over here and it was americanized movies like uh, the italian job uh straw dogs and uh death at a, de- <laughs> was death an at extra a, in, straw, in dogs. straw dogs and death at a funeral are uh, all good examples um you know pick and choose what you think is good or bad out of those but we we tend to do that. Americans uh, like to remake the British films. You know, I I, I don't personally think that uh, this movie Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels needs to be remade. But let's just fantasy. Let's say they did. I could totally see this film directed by the Coen brothers because it had that kind of Fargo vibe to it. Would you be interested in an American remake of this movie? And then why or why not? Ooh, I don't I don't think so. Only because. If it were remade today, they would rely on technology to pull the job off. And I hate that. I hate how hackers fix everything in movies. (laughs) Drives me fucking insane. Like all of a sudden they get their half a million dollars. They're going to, you know, use a fucking iPod to hack into the cell phone. That's going to go into this bank. That's going to steal all this money. And that's just going to piss me off. And I hate that stuff. (laughs) went good old-fashioned car chases and pellet guns yeah i mean these guys were able they had no idea what they were doing uh you know soap that like the clean one of the group you know he starts whipping out all these fucking knives, knives. And shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy and, and then tom buys these these stupid ass like antique musket type <laughs> shotgun deals and it, they just look so ridiculous i mean they're cool as fuck right i mean they look great but i mean he's like i want to look mean you know and uh He's like, oh, yeah, you look real scary. <laughs> so I don't know. I just I think that this movie just happens to be one of those ones that's in a weird time where you were cool if you had a cell phone because not everybody did. And it's hard to get in touch with somebody. And, uh, you know, it's easier to cover your tracks, whereas it, in today's world, you know, it's impossible to be off the grid. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, no, that makes sense. I mean, when we, and we've talked ad nauseum about uh, remakes and, and whether or not they're good. I just, for this one, I was thinking, I, I, I got so many Fargo vibes with it, except way more upbeat than Fargo, you know? Um, and so I was just kind of thinking that the Coen brothers might be a, a good choice. But I I mean, I agree with you. I don't think they should remake this movie. It has that that whole type of vibe where, like the, the very end, right? Where they can't figure out his number because they're like, who knows his number? And oh, my battery's lower. You know, don't jam up the signal. You're not going to run into those issues in, in 2021 if you were to remake it. So I think that was the beauty of it is it, it literally ends on a cliffhanger. And, right. <laughs> and so a remake would just yeah, neg- I- negate all that. I know two phone numbers. One of them is mine. The other is my grandmother. And she passed away in 2010. <laughs> I, I actually, I know my original phone number from when I was a child, too. So, so I know three so phones. So if I get arrested, I am not able to make a single goddamn phone call. 555 Yeah, I might as well call movie phone because I don't know any other fucking phone number. There you go. Hello and welcome to Movie Phone. Yeah, and so let's talk about the ending really quick. So that movie, uh, the, the, I'm sorry, this movie, it ends quite ambiguously as uh, Tom dangles from the bridge holding the guns. He holds those two guns that are wrapped up uh, and then he has his cell phone in his mouth and it's ringing as he's you know holding on to the bridge, literally like a cliffhanger. 
we're unsure of what actually happens, but, uh, but did this work for you? Were you unsatisfied or did you actually like it? And then are you someone that needs a clear cut beginning, middle and end, or can you just kind of enjoy the movie for what it is? Um, I am perfectly happy with the ending because their situation, their situation was like a Seinfeld where it started off. Okay. And then it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And so (laughs) by the end of it, they're like, what the hell is going on, man? Like they just don't understand. Like, you know, they everywhere they go is just a pile of bodies. You know, they go back to their house and there's just 15 dead people. They go to Hatchet Harry's office and everyone's dead there. And they just, they're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> and, you know, they, they just had a phone call that said they were in the clear. So, like, they, they just don't get it. And so it's not a life for them. And so I think it's a perfect ending because mm-hmm. here they have this new opportunity to make it happen. <laughs> and then it's and then there it is. You know, the one guy that was standing in their way is, you know, can can fix it all. And he wanted to keep the guns anyway. And so I think it's just sort of this this culmination of all this horrible to where it's perfect and no i don't i don't need a beginning middle and end i mean as someone that that is definitely drinking the tarantino kool-aid you know <laughs> i think at a very early age he was able to instill in my mind that it's okay to go out of order you know i was 14 or so when i saw pulp fiction and and it blew me away and you know, i never knew that you could tell a movie in a different order and mm. so uh, you know, obviously, uh, Reservoir Dogs was first, but my particular viewing order was Pulp Fiction, then Re- then Reservoir Dogs. So same. Um, it just so happened that um, I love that. I mean, I've seen a movie go from beginning, middle to end a thousand times, so I'm okay with something mixing it up a bit. Totally. Well, and with the first movie that I back to the Coen Brothers, the first movie that I really truly remember scene that didn't have a beginning middle and a solidified end was um no country for old men i remember when that came out and it was when my my adult movie brain was starting to grasp what was going on i was like wait what how how did llewellyn just die um and it kind of pissed me off but as i as i got older i'm like oh okay wait, wait i really liked that a lot and i think movies like this i just appreciate for what it is because i mean these guys (laughs) These guys mean businesses. Uh, they're not. They're they're not. You know these savvy criminals like Danny Ocean and his gang. They're just some bumbling buffoons. And so, of course, you need to have that fit the uh, fit the mold essentially of of them being like shit. We just told him to throw away three hundred thousand pound guns. Basically, that sounds weird, but uh, you know what I mean. So it's I, I agree with you it's i was very okay with this ending and it just it, it did it well i don't need to see a lock stock and two smoking barrels part two first blood revenge right or anything like that so this mean this time it's really personal right. so <laughs> <laughs> really 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 <laughs> four realize so uh yeah let's talk about those so our our four our, ah, our four main bruvs are small time street hustlers trying to make some money through a legit poker game so Ed's the Ed's the the card shark, right? And they're cheated out of their money and then put into this precarious predicament in which we see play out over the course of the film. Did you at, at any point feel bad for Tom, Ed, Bacon, or Soap? I don't think I had time to feel bad for him. I th- I felt like they handled everything as well as they could, and they kept me laughing. And I think that they never really had, even when they were at their lowest low. You know, when when Ed came in and after he'd just thrown up and he'd said, you know, I lost 
we owe five hundred thousand dollars and I wish that I could pay it on my own. Yeah. <laughs> but they said it's yeah. not the case. And, you know, t- Tom gets upset, but then Bacon's like, stop fucking about and figure out and we gotta figure out what we're gonna do. And they immediately they're all kind mm-hmm. of you know, they're con men and entrepreneurs in their own way, aside from soap, you know, they're they've all made a living uh, you know, grifting and as such. And so I feel like I was more rooting for them than feeling sorry for them. Right. Yeah. Even the even when Tom losers. has his little Exactly. When Tom has his little like uh Bobby's bits kind of thing talking about <laughs> the dildos and everything. Yeah. And he's like, Well, I'm gonna wait till return. It's like, I don't know, like four or six weeks. And they're like, Well, god damn it, that's help. And then like when when they want he's like, All we need is five grand. The horse is, you know, 100 to 1. <laughs> yeah. like, there's a reason it's 100 to 1. It won't win. <laughs> and so I could just see, like, you and us, you know, you and I having yeah. an argument like this. Like, this, it's just friends trying to get each other out of a couple of jams. And I think it just really works in, in, in a rooting sense versus a feel sorry sense. What you got to do is get a bunch of scratch tickets, see? Let's <laughs> yeah. get $5,000 and buy 5,000 scratch tickets. <laughs> so Yeah, you come away with maybe $30. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think that was so cool because it almost humanized him because they're, again, with ad nauseum, the Danny Ocean reference, he is going for these, he, he's connected and he's going for these billion dollar casinos and these guys are like, fuck, what should we do? <laughs> they're just normal, normal dudes trying to figure out how to get out of this really crappy situation that they know and and I almost called him Hardcore Harry, uh, Hatchet Harry know that they can't pay back. So they're going to still, I mean, they're they're pretty much dead is what they're thinking or the dad's bar is going to be given up so uh yeah i i think that um i didn't really have time to feel sorry for them either i just enjoyed their interactions together and i enjoyed how they were like when they were trying to knock out the cop and <laughs> yeah, like, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. well and i thought that was even funnier too because jason say them you know is this huge action star now but this was his first movie so you're just kind of looking at it and you're like oh wow that's awesome Otherwise, he would have knocked everyone out. So, yeah, <laughs> and I wanted I se- secretly wanted to see him fight uh, Big Chris, but yeah, not not in this type of movie. So, <laughs> yeah. But, um, anyways, man. So, yeah, that's uh, that's all I got for Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Do you have any final thoughts? And then, what's your letter grade? Oh man, I just I really enjoy this movie. I, I remember giving it to David for a Christmas one year. I was like, man, I really like this movie. I know you're not into it, but just, just <laughs> watch it for me, man. And um, it's just one of those ones where I think it's it's like Boondock Saints in a lot of ways or Dread, where someone that hasn't seen it, I want them to experience it. If, whether they like it or not is a different story, but it's just one of those movies that's so far under the radar that not a lot of people know about. And so when it's available... I try to get as many eyes on it as possible. I absolutely love this movie. I adore it. Um, I've I've had it in my collection since watching it for the very first time. And so um, I, I was absolutely delighted. Yeah, sure, I own it. But when I saw that it was streaming, I was like, fuck yeah, man. I just clicked it and watched it. It was just, it was just a perfect, <laughs> perfect Sunday movie kind of thing. And so um, that's that's where my head's at, man. I give it an A. I absolutely love it. It's just one of those. Uh, from a filmmaker's perspective, especially a young person, I think it's just one of those movies that that opens up possibilities for um, you know your imagination, and I feel like those are important. So whether it be 
um, you know, a foreign film that does it for you, which is probably a good idea. Like, like you mentioned earlier, is just to watch movies in other countries and see how they're doing things. You know, mm-hmm. you mentioned uh, Korea, and that's a perfect example because when when it comes to like action movies, they were one of the first ones to do that sort of Michael Bay quick cuts and <laughs> yeah. you know uh, varying composition from shot to shot, where you're just like, what the fuck is happening right now? You know, this car's going one mile an hour, but I feel like I just got off a roller coaster and it's crazy. And they they did that, man. And 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 they're pioneers. And it's important. You look at, you know, these these different uh, these past Academy Award winners, you know, like the like the three amigos, basically, with um, Guillermo del Toro and. Um, uh, geez, help me out. Who's the guy that did Gravity? Oh, uh, Alejandro G. Inarritu. That one? Alfonso Cuaron? Oh, yeah, Alfonso Cuaron, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, um, wait, hang on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I mean, I bl- he makes I everything. Yeah. But I, mean, I feel like Gravity was the one that. Did he win for that? Uh, Cuaron, yeah. Yeah. And then, so, yeah, and then he won for Roma. The next, Roma, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, years. I mean, these guys are incredible filmmakers. And it's just like, holy shit, dude. Look at, look at what they're accomplishing. Mm-hmm. And. You just can't have a narrow lens. You got to be able to just expand a little bit and open up your mind, especially if you if you're really serious about loving motion picture shows. There's so many amazing movies out there that you just never even heard of. And it's a real shame. Well, I mean, and even like it's it's beautiful to have HBO Max for as much shit as people give it. And they're like, oh, it's the worst streaming platform. I mean, I don't like the UI very much on my TV, but uh, regardless of that, the library is is amazing. And the fact that they have TCM and you have Kurosawa films in there, it's just it's so cool. So, you know, digging into that kind of stuff and, and like how I said earlier, Netflix is really good about giving these international films more uh, more light. Um canopy i've talked about that app before that has a lot of indie films and you can find a lot of international films in there too but yeah just just trying some things man um horror is probably one of the the best types of uh, genres you can watch if you want to start getting into international films because they do some pretty crazy stuff in those movies that they can get away with and uh, over here we're like what <laughs> so right and korean horror is is incredible it's uh whew, <laughs> south korean horror it's just it's pretty crazy so i'm a fan man but yeah, yeah I, I mean, I agree. But with yeah, you, you mentioned you mentioned Alejandro in Naruto. Uh, he did like Birdman. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah, yeah. The other, yeah, he was the other yeah. one I was thinking of. Because him and Del Toro and Quran are the 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 Mary Mexican. No, no, sorry, the Three Amigos is what they're called because they're all yeah. Uh, that's, Mexican that's what directors. I said. Yeah, I said yeah, yeah. I said Three Amigos. Um, yeah. But yeah, totally. I mean, it's and they, and they've all won like two in the last like ten years or something like that. Like, yeah, they, well, they're freaking crushing it. Yeah, they're they're destroying it right now. It's awesome, and so I, I do like all of them, but. I agree. Um, and for, for this movie, I mean, everything that you said. So I, I wasn't I completely blown away like you were um, necessarily. So I give it a B. But um, I do really like it. And I'm glad that that we we picked it because literally this is the first time I watched it. So now it makes me want to go revisit Snatch and then Rock and Roller. Because I think that was like kind of his trilogy, essentially, in the same vein of Edgar Wright's, you know, pub trilogy. Um, I think that that was Guy Ritchie's kind of three three movie arc. Sure. I, I see. I, w- I wasn't really into rock and roll at all. It wasn't my cup of tea. But I mean, I l- I freaking absolutely love uh, Lockstock and Snatch. I'd probably do Snatch, then Lockstock, and then Rock and Roll. Is probably the order. But yeah, um, freaking love the first two though. So goddamn good. Isn't Albert Finney in Snatch? Probably. 
Albert Finney? No, I don't think so. Oh, I'm wrong then. Somebody's in it. There's a guy in it, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so anyways, man, that's that's all I have to say about that. Do you have anything else to add? I do not. Great. I'm done, son. Awesome. I had a dream last night that I was trying to speak in a British accent uh, because I get compared to Taron Egerton a lot, and for some reason I needed to pretend to be him. And so I was trying to speak in a British accent, and I could not do it for the life of me. Um, and I felt like a, a dweeb. I got made fun of by the people around me in my dream. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't do that. I can't yeah. do accents. Yeah, I'm not really I mean, I mean, I can't, I can't pretend to just be someone. If I'm taking a, a class on learning a language, then sure, I can do the accent. But I can't just, you know, be like... Um, on the spot like yes and would you send like a british guy or something and it won't work <laughs> my 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 voice is always yes but <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> yes but <laughs> this movie is good or whatever you, you sound like a uh, inspector clouseau or something <laughs> <laughs> yes but uh, it's always very spot like anytime i say something at work and someone has to refute it <laughs> yes, but. We ain't had nothing but moldy old bread for three stinking days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fresh. <laughs> it's uh, back on the menu, boy. I was, eat- I was eating a tomato today, and I was like, come, sing me a song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just biting into it. Gross. Making a mess. Ugh. So, anyway, Are you, what does he say? Are your songs unfit for my holes? Whatever. <laughs> 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 To oh the edge of night. And then I'm like, oh, crying. Just crying. But, oh. Faramir loves you, father. So. Well, it has ended. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast, bruv. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at EdgyArmo, and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us and we will discuss them on our show. Heck, you can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. I got a suggestion from a buddy of mine to do 310 to Yuma, and I think I want to take him up on that because I I really liked that movie when I saw it, and I would love to explore it again for all the, the craziness. And I do like a good Western. So uh, I do um, like a good Luke West or Luke Western, Luke Wilson cameo. <laughs> he's in that movie? Oh, yeah, he's a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly. right. Yeah. Is he like, yeah. 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 Uh, He is great. Uh, Please also be sure to check out the Fantabulous uh, Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy, and Justin. Uh, They were just talking about Star Wars The High Republic, and that was great. Um, As well as the Pixelated podcast with Stephen K. James, who loves to wear shoes. He's a shoe wearing son of a bitch. Just please remember don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Sorry. I I was totally zoned out. Thank you so much. (laughs)